welcome back. On this week's episode, I'm going to be speaking with a few women who happen to be Missouri medical marijuana advocates. Now, I normally don't talk to advocates because sometimes they will say things or go off the rails on certain items, but these women really had a story to tell about how the laws against marijuana have impacted their lives. The first story is Brandy and Jessica. They use medical marijuana to treat their children. This is very frowned upon and and a very controversial topic. The second story, I'm joined by Dolores, who Dolores and her husband had their home raided and were arrested for possession of marijuana. Any uh, just ways that THC or cannabinoids have affected your life or your loved ones, okay? Mm-hmm. It's, it's affected our life. That's Brandy you're talking to right now. Yeah, I'm sorry. My youngest son, Trace, has intractable epilepsy, and he's the only one in the world living with deprospis, which is cranial duplication. Um, so neurologically, he's got a lot of things going on that no physician knows about. He wasn't expected to survive the first night, so he's now 12, and he was having upwards of 300 to almost 400 seizures every single day. On a bad day, he was having around 450. Whenever 2012 rolls around, we had a VNS surgery, which is a, a device that is implanted into like the, the side of his chest right on his vagal nerve. What it does is it sends a shock every 20 seconds that lasts for a 30-second duration into his vagus nerve, which goes up to his brain and is supposed to deter seizures. Well, this was our last legal option of treatment. And six months after that, we were told there was nothing more they could do for my son and his seizures. So that spring, I started taking him off of his pharmaceuticals because he was maxed out of everything. Nothing had helped after, you know, 10, 11 years of over-medication. And I'm sure and that's destroying his liver too, right? Yeah, that's why I took him off. He was going into mm-hmm. renal failure, and mm-hmm. they did not tell me that even after I kept raising concerns about him not urinating and his circulation, um, different things like that. If I wasn't in my prerequisites for my BSN, I would not have known that, and they wouldn't have told me. They would have let him die on those pharmaceuticals, told me that they did not approve of me messing with them or taking them down, even though they didn't work. So it took me 10 and a half months. I got him off of all pharmaceuticals without ever having a seizure dif- differentiate. Like we went from 325 every single day to almost 450 on a bad day. And by the time we had all of his pharmaceuticals out of his system, he was still having the exact amount of seizures. And his circulation was improving. His cognitive ability was starting to improve. About a month and a half after he was off of all pharmaceuticals, we started cannabis oil. And we started him on a ACDC blend. And with that, he went instantly from over 300 seizures a day to under 60. And he's been holding at under 40 seizures a day for over a year. So that's a 90% reduction. And he's also broken three bones <laughs> mm-hmm. this year so it's also helped with the the reparative properties in bone and as well as pain management 
I mean, we didn't know that his bones were in really bad shape until he broke the first one and having a seizure in the car while we were in Colorado. Whenever we went to the ortho, they told me, you know, that he had early onset osteoarthritis, which is, you know, basically his bones are so depleted that they're like an 80-year-old person's, you know. And I'm assuming this, this is from all the medications he was on, lack exactly of nutrition. That's right. Yeah. So. How old is he now? He's 12. Okay. And cognitively, he is, I mean, he's probably doubled within the last 12 months mm -hmm. what he can do. Oh, he's quite the little flirt. He is. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have a, a friend that has epilepsy, and she was having seizures, uh, grand mal seizures. And I guess when you have one, you can't drive your car for like up to six months or something. Right. Um, so she was having two or three every six months. So therefore, she was not able to drive her car. This, of course, was made it very hard for her to work, which made her depressed, which the doctors then put her on Prozac. And uh. it's just this endless cycle. So she finally cut out all of the medications and awesome. literally just started smoking pot. She has maybe one seizure every few years now. Mm -hmm. She has a full-time job. <laughs> she drives. It saves lives. And when she does have a seizure, it's not nearly as severe. At least, I haven't spoken to her in a little while, but it seems that it wasn't the grand mal seizure. It was more of a subtle thing that she could, once she came out of it, she was somewhat coherent as opposed mm -hmm. to when she had the grand mal seizure. Sometimes she would have to be hospitalized. Right. And see, with Trace, he's always kind of bounced back pretty quick. But after a large set of seizures like that, I've noticed since giving him the oil, the time it takes for him to recuperate is, is a lot less because, like you said, sometimes it would be days he would lay around and now it's just like maybe 20 minutes and he's ready to go. It, it's so. incredible that people don't quite grasp that th this happens. I mean, and, and it's sort of offensive to me sometimes when I hear somebody say, oh, well, it's a miracle. And I go, that's that's not a miracle. It's It's a treatment and it seems to work. It does. It really does. I've seen it work for so many other families as well. For a variety of conditions. My son doesn't have epilepsy, but he has autism and um, schizoaffective disorder. So that's, you know, schizophrenia, basically. And he uh, last year ended up in the hospital for the entire summer, including his 10th birthday because of negative reactions to pharmaceutical medications. What was he on lithium or do, do you? Oh, goodness. He was on such a cocktail. I couldn't even tell you going back that far now because he's still continued. My son is not able to obtain any kind of oil here <clears throat> legally. And so we're not able to see if that would even be an option for him. And so he's still on the medications and it, they are having a, a terrible impact on his body. I have friends that have schizophrenia and I just see them struggle every day. Some of them, they have good good reactions to um, certain things. But as we know, every drug affects everybody differently. So it's not, there's no silver bullet when it comes to a lot of the pharmaceuticals. This, this one lady I know, she's on like Seroquel and, and Xanax and um, lithium. But oddly enough, the only thing that puts her to sleep is a pot brownie or a cookie. Like that's the only thing that will settle her down. And right. And then you don't have any of the negative react side effects either. And these people aren't going to wake up, you know, feeling like the hangover feeling. And as a mom, I really hate it when people say, 
well, aren't you worried about getting your kid high? And I'm like, what do you think all these pharmaceuticals are doing yeah. to them? Our kids are loaded every day. We're trying to get them a little less high. Well, what do you think Adderall see. and Ritalin is? I mean, <laughs> well, yeah, and half of those epilepsy medications, you know, yeah. Trey would either sleep for two days after they upped it, or he wouldn't sleep for two days, and his pupils would be so dilated. I don't think I've seen them like that. Anyway, it was huge. They're, they were huge. You couldn't see the color of his eyes, and they would be like that for weeks until he got used to his medication, even though he was still having seizures. I, I always hear that, like THC marijuana will treat, say, um, the symptoms of uh, chemotherapy because, you know, when you're on chemo, <laughs> you, you get nauseated, you won't eat. And pot, well, what does a pot do? It makes you hungry. I mean, that's the running joke is the munchies. I mean, this is not an anecdotal, oh, the people. Get a nice heavy indica. Yeah. Yeah. But it's always funny to me that people will deny that there's no medical use for marijuana when I'm like, well, there's one right there. It makes you hungry. And the actual pharmaceuticals that will, that are anti-nausea or hunger inducing, your body has to process that and some of them are pretty harsh and their side effects are almost worse than just being nauseated. I just Well, it's a wonderful neuroprotectant and even if you go onto many .gov sites, you'll find all that information when you put it in there about cannabis. If you just do a simple Google search and look into the .gov sites, you'll see that you know, they say on there that it, it absolutely works as a neuroprotectant. It absolutely is showing signs that it evidence that it's killing cancer cells. There's there's so many things that it can do. It's a wonderful anti-inflammatory. Um, and if you use it topically, which a lot of people don't know, when it's not hitting your brain or a liver, you're not going to have the same high effects. Let's get this straight. I mean, people say, well, it's a medicine. Well, let's mm-hmm. let's call it what it is. It's a plant. And it's you, a plant. That's exactly right. It, they it, only call it a medicine because they want they're trying to build a market mm-hmm. so that they can have money. Market for profits. You can so you if, can eat it though, and you can juice yeah. it and not have any psychoactive result. Exactly, and still and get it, all the benefits. <laughs> right, but the whole point is, is that you know, in session or whenever somebody in the law is debating whether or not to use marijuana or cannabis as medicine or its legality, the only thing they seem to throw up is the THC. Whenever that's the only thing they have a patent for and they use it for medicine. It's a synthetic form of THC. Yeah, Marinol. Yeah. But that's the only thing that they use against us whenever, you know, we as parents are fighting for this for our kids and other people. They're like, oh, well, THC is so dangerous. Well, then how come you guys have been selling it for years. How much of a, of a taboo or how much crap do you get giving this to your son? Do you ever have anyone wince at you and think, oh my God, how, I, how could you do that? I've dealt with a lot more than that. So it's those are, that's yeah. kind of water off a duck's back. We, you know, when you're dealing with children that are very ill, you really have bigger things on your plate than worrying about what other people think or are saying. And most of the time you've heard it all before because by then you've got people that have said something, you know, hurtful Mm -hmm. about your child because they're, they are different and, you know, like appearance or behavior, you know, there are children. That's just it. They're not theirs. They're ours. When they're terminally ill, I I would, I just think all bets are off at that point. Why can't you try whatever you want? Because you, well, you would think that it would be legal to try to save the life of your child, but it's not in America. And, you know, it's not just cannabis as a treatment option, but there's some other medications, too. You know, other therapies that are proven pretty effective that they they try to 
not allow access to. But it all really just comes back to money. Do you guys go to Colorado or other states where it's legal and obtain? Well, I spend a a large portion of my time in Colorado. I kind of bounce back and forth. Mm -hmm. And then we have Trey's Medicine shipped from Colorado because I know who personally grows and manufactures the medicine. And I know how it's processed, which that's the only oil that he's been on. And it's doing really well. And so I don't want to jeopardize that by trying to mix things up and to take him from something that is working and try something that is a little bit, well, it's just experimental. Yeah, and not as well made. You know, that's another, there's so many things. And when we are, that's what our show will get into is different industry practices. But there's a lot of bad industry practices in the cannabis industry. Oh, absolutely. There's people can't just say marijuana is the end all be all wonderful thing. I mean, I have severe paranoia and anxiety if I ever smoke it. So it's not perfect for me, but there's other ways I could consume it that wouldn't give me that same, you know, well, and it would depend on what you're smoking also. And, you know, it's also very important to make sure that you're smoking something that's been grown organically and you're not smoking pesticides because that happens all the time. And cannabis is a wonderful uh, soil remediator. So it soaks up a lot of the toxins in the soil it's grown in. So if it's not being grown right, you're going to be getting something that's loaded with heavy heavy metals and, and treated with chemicals. Do you inform your family physician on the treatment you're giving your child? Yes. Yeah. That is actually why we do not see certain physicians. His epilepsy specialist at Children's in St. Louis informed me that cannabis was not medicine and it was not an adequate form of treatment, even though she was also the one that informed me there was nothing more she could do to help my son. So... If the big pharmaceuticals are over any kind of hospital regulations, you know, if if they have a hold over where these physicians work, then they're not going to want to even talk about it because it puts them in jeopardy, not only with their careers, with their standings in the medical community as well, because it is just so taboo still, which is I mean, it's illegal. So they could, they are risking losing their medical license by advising patients to use it. But I can take, for instance, Viagra that Uh gives me an erection and that's considered medical need. (laughs) Like I I don't understand how they can define one thing as no medical benefit and say Viagra as a medical benefit. You know, it's all about the money. They're going to buy more, more things. But Um. if you overdose on Viagra, it can oh, yeah, cause, and you can. <laughs> and people do. <laughs> I mean, the symptoms are actually pretty horrifying. And, yeah. and, and, and temporary blindness is one of them. And do you, do you want somebody behind the wheel that's going blind because their their optic nerve is collapsing due to blood loss? You know what? If somebody if somebody ODs on Viagra, I, it, that's going to be very hard to get empathy from me. <laughs> I think yeah. it's just going to invoke more laughter. Well, but but I mean, I'm just saying that like that they justify that as having a a medical need. Yet you can die on Viagra. You can kill somebody on Viagra. You you can suffer great issues down down yonder on Viagra. But cannabis definitely doesn't cause any of that. In fact, no one's ever died from it. Now so, people do have like taken too much on the edibles, and then it turns you know, a little. Harry, and they they won't make that mistake twice. I, I have a question about that. Uh, in, in in Colorado, I've I've seen news reports that are like, oh, the the hospitals have had to deal with four to six overdoses on marijuana. 
Now, is an overdose just somebody freaking out because they took too much? I mean, is it Nine just the size? Nine out of ten, yes. Okay. All you have to do is sleep it off. Yeah, I mean, I, I get that, but is there ever has there ever been a legitimate OD situation where they had to do something? No. No, <laughs> no there is nothing because there's not anything that they can give you that's more non-toxic than cannabis, which is crazy. That's the whole <laughs> issue. Yeah. In every case that they've tried to say, even in legislature, because they throw up all kinds of stuff, which I have no clue where they find, but they'll be like, oh, well, so-and-so says, you know, this death was attributed to cannabis. And I'm like, oh, okay, but he also had methamphetamines and all this other crap in his system. And, you know, it's never, there's not been one case of cannabis-related death to where cannabis is the sole, you know, it's just, it's one of the least toxic plants on our earth. I could go into specifics if, if I need to, but well, most there's people a, don't. There's a whole bunch of stuff you can do with it. You know, it's not just to smoke. Right. You can. Well, even hemp is illegal yeah. in the States when and hemp has zero psychoactive capability. Correct. Uh, and, and it's one of the better industrialized fibers. It's one of the better uh, it, textiles. It, Absolutely. It, it, it's carbon negative. Yeah, it's it, the longest, strongest natural fiber. Our, our rangers use the, the rope that they drop out of helicopters with is made mm-hmm. out of hemp. And our American government has to buy that from China or Canada. Yeah. We import the most hemp products. When you're thinking about that, that, that hemp, I believe our Declaration of Independence was even written on hemp paper. So this is part of our country's history. As our first president, I think, was a hemp farmer. Yes. Missouri used to be the number one exporter of hemp. And, and Kentucky, I think. Well, and Kentucky, but Missouri hemp sold for $20 more a bushel than Kentucky hemp. So, you know, this is really a part of our country's history. And to just remove it like this has just been absurd. You can't, I mean, it, it's been catastrophic, not only has. to our environment, but to our economy. And you can tell. Because, and to our bodies. Yeah. When your son was sick and before you started treating him, how did you contemplate marijuana as the solution? Were you thinking about it the entire time or was it something you had to come to when all else failed? How did that happen? Well, I found out about it about 12 months before I had no other options. One of my friends casually mentioned it to me, and I hadn't really researched it. And I was just laughed it off because I was like every other parent. I thought I had options. I knew it was illegal. I was like, you know, they test my kid for all kinds of stuff. I can't use that. And then whenever you're a parent and your child dies in your arms, you know, more than once, you don't care what it takes to keep them alive. And whenever you're out of options, you start researching. So that last year, as our options were dwindling, I researched. And he had a surgery two years ago yesterday for his VNS. Right before he had that surgery is whenever she told me cannabis was not medicine. And I just wish that I knew what I knew now five years ago. He would just be in a better place. All the pharmaceuticals and all of that stuff just wreaked so much havoc on him. I just, I don't know where we would be without cannabis. I can honestly say that because of that, you know, I can breathe and my son can breathe. He isn't having to be resuscitated every, probably, I was pre- resuscitating about three times a day, at least seven to six times a week. And I have only had to resuscitate him with rescue breaths twice since April of last year. Wow. So whenever we came down 
to, you know, legality, that was never an option. Like, once it got to the point to where we had to worry about that, it didn't matter because we had no other options. Yeah, because at that point, your son's the priority. His life is the priority. If the law wants to come and put handcuffs on you, so be it, because you're going to do whatever is in your power to save your child. I mean, I, I would assume that if anyone, even the most anti-marijuana person out there, if they're, if they're a parent and their child's dying and somebody were to say, hey, try this, they would be yeah. open to it, I would hope, because it's very inert as far as toxicity and, and side effects. Some of the strongest advocates I know are people who used to be dead set against it. And then, you know, they had the, something in life happens and... They have an experience where either they need it or someone needs it and they become diehard advocates. And that's always a nice transformation to see. Right. Because whenever I found out about the history of prohibition, like started actually researching it myself, I was just flabbergasted. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to believe it. You know, it just crashed every everything completely you based know. on racism and minorities yes Just how could we the, as a country well, be they, so stupid i mean they used racism and to make it illegal but it was really it started from the pharmaceutical companies and the paper industry and dupont those are the ones that were pushing to have it illegal and so they turned it into a racial thing they leveraged that as their excuse yeah. to put another business out of business exactly <laughs> right think about it after you have your free, your free marketplace. How else are you going to kind of stronghold that market for yourself if you do not do it by legislature? It's kind of why I, I won't even say I'm a libertarian, but I, I side more with kind of anti-government right. view is just because I see when the government gets involved, it's never really at the hand of the people. It's at the hand of the lobbyist. Exactly. So nothing good ever really comes out of it. Even if it's a good idea and concept, by the time it's executed and the laws are set in place, it's never really in our favor. Oh, no. It's always so watered down. you know. And then some of the deals that go on to make even the little things happen just make you turn your stomach. Which is why we're doing what we're doing yeah. and decided we were tired of getting taken advantage of by those people. We're fighting for the right reasons and right. for the right people. Yeah. So what do you think is the best solution? Do you think decriminalization or do you think... Uh, no, there's a big difference. That she, I know when we both sit here like violently shaking our heads, no, you yeah, can't yeah. see it. <laughs> Go ahead and define the two. <laughs> it, g- define yeah, it. I'm going to let you take this one, Brandy. <laughs> okay, decriminalization is just like the cherry on top of your milkshake. Do you want just the cherry or do you want your milkshake? It's just nothing. It's, it's not even saying it's legal. It's just saying it's decriminalized. It's just so. saying, yeah, we could prosecute you, but it's not worth our time. So full legalization. Yes. And um, a lot of people think that just the federal rescheduling would be great. But while it opens the market up and would give access to a lot more people, it also opens up for a lot of corruption uh-huh. and and a lot of mishandlement. There are so many agencies that would have to be in control that they would make in control. Then they would control who who can and cannot sell it. You know, we would be forced to buy whatever they wanted to sell us pretty much. We wouldn't have a say so. We Well, it's like you're you're forced to buy tobacco products. You can't grow tobacco in your backyard. 
I mean, you could do it illegally, but if you're going to do anything with that tobacco, they, they want it to be regulated. So it, right. you have to go to, you know, Cools or Marlboro, whatever, and you, know, you have to buy a pack of cigarettes or. Right. Know, and tobacco. like with cannabis, it shouldn't be that way because it is non-toxic, unlike tobacco, you know, and. And that's what we're trying to get across. It's not something that should be regulated. It's not something. It should be something we sh- we can grow and eat. You know, it shouldn't be demonized or condemned because people don't don't understand it. You know how many plants are just totally toxic, poison. You can that poison. grow out in your yard. Yeah, the, like it's sumac. It, um, well, even oleander. You know, and that's totally legal to grow. <laughs> I can have an oleander plant that is. I mean, that can poison someone. Yeah. But we can't have a cannabis plant. That could save a life. Priorities. Uh, (laughs) Took the word out of my mouth. (laughs) (laughs) So what are the common points that, I mean, besides just it being illegal, which that's Mm -hmm. enough for most people to say it's bad because it's illegal or you shouldn't do it because it's illegal. But what Mm -hmm. are some of the other counter arguments that you guys hear or have to deal with? A lot of them are from people that are just not educated on the topic. And once you sit down and have a conversation with them, you can even, you can usually get them to at least see where they need to learn more. Then people are afraid that it's going to be harmful, that, you know, it's going to have a negative impact on a developing brain, things like that. And they just, they aren't knowledgeable about it. It's a neuroprotectant. And if you have a kid who has any kind of neurodegenerative disorder, of course they need that neuroprotectant. And this is a child whose brain is, developing it's, right well and it's it's their brain is going through negative changes anyway you know they're losing gray matter like why not let us try what we know is going to work to try to slow some of that down or they think they picture us like smoking with a little child you know sitting around smoking weed with a little child and that i don't know anyone who does yeah, that yeah i actually <laughs> had someone on social media blast me because i was going to let my 10 year old smoke a joint and I'm like my kid can't even eat with his mouth you need to just <laughs> you don't even know what you're talking about it's an oil, <laughs> it's an oil but it's, it's all it from lack of education mm-hmm. I think yeah. for, for children most of the parents that we know use a tincture which is just little drops under the tongue people are always curious about how kids would um, consume it you know topicals and patches transdermal patches are also another great option for pediatric use Trace loves the suckers. He's had a few of the edible suckers when we were out in Colorado, and that actually brought him out of two rather large seizures. And they were caramel apple, which is his favorite, so I didn't have to fight him. And I'm glad you're mentioning these these other marijuana products because most people only think that you can smoke marijuana, and they absolutely think that smoking marijuana is way worse than nicotine or cigarettes. Oh, no, not at all. And it's actually good for your lungs. I mean, it's since it is such a uh, anti-inflammatory whenever you smoke it. I mean, of course, combustion is is your enemy. That is the only thing bad when you smoke marijuana. It's not. Yeah, it's not the cannabis. It's just the heat and the actual Mm -hmm. combustion, the smoke that's bad. So the chemicals that are released through that smoke like if you do vaporize it's a lot cleaner you know you don't have that combustible in there and so you get more of the active cannabinoids and what that does is it 
immediately is absorbed into your bronchial tubes and into all of those tiny little, you know, blood vessels and into your bloodstream. So that is why it is probably the most favorable way to ingest cannabis. You can also moderate your dosage much better that way. You know, with edibles, people will get, kind of get ahead of themselves because it takes yeah. a while to process and they don't know how it's going to hit them. And it also depends on what they've had to eat that day. You know, if they had any dairy, then the effect's going to be doubled. But if you're a novice user, you don't know that. So I always recommend for adult use, if you're starting, start with topical and smoking. And then you kind of work your way up real slowly on the edibles. I've seen they're called chill pills and they're they're like lozenges or just, you know, capsules that are between 3.5 to 10 milligrams. Oh, yeah. If you eat a cookie or even nibble on a cookie, you can get 40 plus milligrams of marijuana or a THC, which for a novice, that can be too much. You're you're going to be a little whacked out. But 3.5 to 10 milligrams, consuming that is much more manageable. That That doesn't freak people out as much. That just puts them to sleep or makes them more alert, What you know, depending on the strain. It doesn't have the overwhelming high feeling that eating a whole cookie or, you know, or a edible it is. So I always recommend if they're going to eat it to just start with a very, very small amount because I know a lot of people that don't want to smoke because, you know, their, their lungs are very sensitive. So they just, they cough and it's just, mm-hmm. not, it's not appealing to them. So. Yeah, I'm a very, very big fan of the topical applications, honestly. You know, you're in a legal market and you have the ability and access to it. I think that the best way is a whole body approach. And you should smoke some, eat some, and use it topically. Which raw cannabis is excellent <laughs> You for can your juice body. it. Yep, you can juice it. I think the more ways that you can get it into your body, the better. Depending on how, uh, what absorption method you pick is depending on what receptors it's going to hit in your body. Yeah, and the CB1 and CB2 receptors yeah. affects different portions of your brain, which could develop, you know, like say if your knee's hurting, you know, you could smoke a different strain of cannabis or like juice or, you know, topical. topical. I mean, it just depends on what you're trying to treat. I mean, cancer patients do a, a lot of, well, so they need a lot, really high doses. And so usually enemas is the best delivery method for that. And, and when it hits these receptors, it goes in and it actually sends a message to the cancer cell or the tumor cell, whatever, the the misfiring cells tells them to die, correct? Or repair. See, that's, a, that's something that a lot of people forget. You know, they think that, oh, well, cannabis kills cancer cells. No, it doesn't just kill cancer cells. Chemo kills cells. Chemo kills every cell it comes into contact with. Even healthy And (laughs) with cannabis and cancer, it doesn't just kill the cancer cells. It ratifies the healthy cells, which also makes them attack the unhealthy cells. It takes the cells that are you know, partially damaged and it repairs those cells. Healthier solution. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've seen several people go through chemo, several very close people, and it destroys their body and it burns them and it's just, it's horrible. It's so much worse than the actual cancer. No, it is awful. I just wish that they would kind of realize there's something wrong whenever you can't even research a plant. That's kind of a big red flag. Where's Missouri at now? I mean, I know it's still very much illegal here, but are we still Mm -hmm. one of the stricter, harsher penalty states? 
Yeah. Where I live, it, it's it's extremely bad. Um, I live in a rural area, and there's task force. In our small community, I live in a town of under 2,000. So, like, there's people getting busted all the time for meth, and they let these people out. And then you see these people that get in trouble or caught up with, like, little to no weed. They're doing, like, you know, a month or getting put on a probation or even more jail time and having to just endure all this for no reason. It's deliberate persecution for no reason. I, I think if you are caught with just paraphernalia, like a pipe that smells of marijuana, you can, can be sentenced. To- yeah, they can take you to jail and sentence you up to one year in, in prison. Mm, it's pretty harsh here. So we do have a medical bill on a medical initiative on the ballot for November. And we have a nice approval rating. So we expect that to pass as long as everybody makes sure that they get out and vote. It's important. Make sure everyone's um, voter registration is up to date and they are voting yes for medical cannabis. Yes. And it's important because we are also, we have several governors that are running. I spent a lot of time in Jefferson City and so I saw the temperature there. And it's, it's not favorable. This ballot initiative, you know, we gathered way more signatures than we needed to. And this lets the people speak. And it's a constitutional amendment. So they can't really come in and mess it up too much. And it's a great initiative that has it. Uh, it has a condition list. But it's, you know, you can go on there and read it. And it's pretty much per doctor discretion. Because when other treatment options aren't working for whatever reason, then the doctor can give this recommendation of cannabis. And it also kind of opens the doctor up to have a little bit of protection, you know, whenever he's he's talking to his patients about this. They can't come in and, you know, strip him of his license mm-hmm. or his credentials just because he's discussing cannabis with the patient. And so that is going to be, I think, a really big turner. Um, it also only has a 4% tax rate, which is going to be, oh you know, gosh. basically unheard of. And it'll all go to a fund for veterans. Wow. I mean, other states, it's between 35 and 60, I think, percent. You know, I don't agree with taxing patients at all. If I have to go pick up a, a prescription for my child at Walgreens, that mileage and copay can go towards the, a medical deduction mm-hmm. for the year. Yeah. But where's my cannabis tax deduction? It's this is it's still his medicine. Mm-hmm. And why are we taxing it? Because the other ones I can claim and get a deduction, you know, we, we don't tax medicine like this and patients. I still feel like it's kind of a double standard on that. No, and our insurance right. won't pay for it. No, you're absolutely right because it's still not being considered legitimized. So I guess if they, if we did what like Colorado uh, did or even uh, I think Washington where the, you have recreational and medical, maybe that would be the way where if you're a medical patient and you have a prescription, therefore you won't pay a tax. But then they can open up, open it up recreational and then tax the hell out of that if they want it. Right. But. We're totally <laughs> fine with that, honestly. But we also would like to see insurance and like Medicaid reimbursement. You know, one thing that... Um, a lawyer mom that I work with on autism issues had pointed out to me was that it's ridiculous that Medicaid won't pay for cannabis for our sick children because they're required by federal law to pay for anything deemed medically necessary. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't have to be a prescription because the argument from insurance companies is, well, doctors don't actually prescribe it. It's a recommendation. So that's how they get away with taxing it and not paying on the insurance. There's the loophole. But Medicaid is federally required to pay for anything deemed medically necessary. So if Brandy's doctor sees this oil for her son as medically necessary, 
in theory, they should be paying for that. But they do not. It's ridiculous because they were paying, you know, Trace's seizure medicine for one month was mm-hmm. like five grand. You know, $5,000 came out of Medicaid's mm-hmm. pocket every single month for how many years? And that was perfectly fine because it was killing them and they were making a bunch of money because they get a lot of kickbacks. You know, it's all big pharma. So one thing I guess a lot of people need to know is, so a lot of special needs families, the what will happen is, the private insurance is billed first, and then Medicaid for Disability is billed secondary for the kids. And so that's that's how that kind of works when you're dealing with, with children with special needs. And to piggyback off your point about they would spend five grand on uh-huh. this medicine, uh, my, my insurance would pay for chiropractic, but wouldn't pay for massage or other things. And right. funny enough, I went and saw a chiropractor. He gave me whiplash. <laughs> I had a very bad experience. But I could be reimbursed through my insurance. But meanwhile, massage or you know anything to really loosen my muscles, which was actually what I needed, right. was, was not covered. So I had to pay out of pocket. And it, after a while, I just was like, why am I paying for insurance? Like every time I had a problem, it was never covered. And it just mm-hmm. annoyed the right. shit out of me to the point where I'm like, it would be cheaper to not have it and to just pay out of pocket when I need something because it doesn't ever cover it. I mean, I know there's new reforms now with, oh, well, they can't deny you for pre-existing conditions. Well, but they can deny all the treatments that <laughs> are options to me. Uh, exactly. So. And see, that's I, I that's how I got started in advocacy a long time ago with when my son was diagnosed with autism. I'd had the same insurance from preconception. And then when he was diagnosed with autism at two and a half, um, they said like nothing was covered because it was a pre-existing condition. <laughs> I, said, I, was, I thought it was a joke, like pre-existing to the idea of having a child. <laughs> I don't understand. I, I took my <laughs> wife to the emergency room once because she had like the flu really, really bad to the point where I thought it was like bird flu or something. Oh, um, no. And it was the middle of the night. She's like, I can't breathe. She couldn't breathe because her nostrils were all clogged up and, and her drainage was so bad. But I didn't know. When your wife says she can't breathe, you, you take her to the hospital. We had to pay for that hospital visit completely out of pocket because they said it was a pre-existing condition. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And we fought it and we lost. And so I'm like, okay, that was $2,200 out of my pocket for what? I don't know. But so now they say there's no pre-existing conditions, but I was traveling for my work and I got an eye infection from, I guess the hotel room was just not sanitary. And I had to get these eye drops and they just straight up said they're not covered. And I said, well, what is covered? They said, well, we can't tell you what's covered. Your doctor has to prescribe it. So then I went to my doctor and said, can you give me a prescription for 10 different eye drops? And then I will take those to my insurance company and try to figure out which one's covered. And my doctor's like, no, I can't. I can only write you a prescription for one thing. So then I went back to my insurance company and said, will you give me a list of what's covered and what's not? And they said, no, we will only approve or disapprove whatever your doctor prescribes. And at that point, I'm like, I don't. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's illegal. I think they have to disclose what they will and will not cover, don't they? should be on the website either way it's sketchy that's not cool their, their website that's oh so easy to navigate oh it's <laughs> terrible to navigate i mean at that point you just you just give up it's not worth it i mean i can figure out a phone plan faster than i can figure out my health insurance plan <laughs> <laughs> that's I mean, true though 
why does it have to be so complicated? It really doesn't. Um, well, because, you know, there's all those loopholes because they're, everybody's in the business of making money. Yeah. That's what, they're in the business of making money, not in helping people. I, I really didn't want to make this a whole rant about pharmaceutical and insurance companies, <laughs> but this is how I've been dealing with. And, and here's, here's another story. This, my wife was on uh, antidepressant, and mm-hmm. my uh, insurance company said, well, we won't cover you going to Walgreens or CVS. You have to do mail order. And, and I'm like, well, that actually sounds like a better deal because we're getting like way more pills for way less money. Well, first off, her doctor's like, I'm not going to prescribe you 90 pills. Right. So we had to get the doctor and the insurance company to figure that out. Once he did write her prescription for that, and once we did get this antidepressant mail ordered from Indonesia, <laughs> uh, uh, let's just say quality control is probably not where it should be. Yeah. Uh-uh. My wife went into a severe depression and became suicidal off of this mail ordered pill that the insurance company would only cover. So we stopped that and we just go to Costco or whatever and just pay out of pocket now for her antidepressant because literally I feel like the pharmaceutical company tried to kill my wife. (laughs) And, And I'm sure that's how you felt about your son's treatment before you found cannabinoids. Yeah, I still feel that way. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, we we, I, we don't I, love the pharmaceutical industry if you yeah, can't tell. Um, just because of everything that we have been through, it gives us a much broader outlook on things. And it opens your eyes to a lot of things that you don't want to know. I mean, I wish that I didn't know this stuff. I would. I was much more happy. I, I didn't Being worry. blissfully unaware. <laughs> yes, I, I didn't worry every day about, oh my gosh, who's going to stand up for my son? Who's going to stand up for me? What the crap are these people doing? You know, what kind of shit law are they passing now to take my money or to <laughs> yeah. kill my son or whatever? I literally think about this every every day. You know, there's not one day that goes by that I do not yeah. think about We're, cannabis legislation. I'm sure we're coming off a little conspiracy you know tinfoil hat wearing the pharmaceutical it is. you know That's how i feel we, we, we absolutely are coming off that way but when your son had zero improvement over the years and my pharmaceutical company would dictate exactly what my wife would take for her depression or anxiety and that yeah. alternative was not it was not an improvement. It was definitely a a, a, a downgrade because she went suicidal. Um, right. You know, when somebody says the pharmaceutical companies are all evil because it's impacted me personally, I'm like, ah, I don't think you're crazy anymore. I, I absolutely do not believe in a lot of conspiracies. I don't, you know, I, I think JFK was murdered by the guy that they said. <laughs> right, I'm you know? not, yeah. <laughs> Neither of us are conspiracy theorists whatsoever. Yeah. It's just, it sucks because we've had such a rude awakening. Yeah. And, you know, we've had these things kind of forced into our face. You mm-hmm. know, we were average mothers just trying to make everyday life for our kids. Yeah. And, we got taken advantage of not only by the legal system, by our doctors, by the people that were supposed to protect us. By other advocates. You know, and it hurts. And like I said, we were much happier. Our lives were easier anyway. Even in the shitholes we were in fighting (laughs) for our kid's life, 
because then we didn't know. We just, we didn't know. You, 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 know? you were in and the once, matrix and you wanted to keep taking the blue pill and not take the red pill. Exactly. Yeah. And once you take the red pill, you just can't go back. I mean. And it's impossible to not stand up and fight when you see it saving lives. Mm. And like I've, um, I've had two friends in Kansas City this spring lose their little boys. And, um, you know, if those little boys had had, a, this is a treatment option thing, who knows? Who knows? We'll it, never know. It wouldn't have hurt them. <laughs> it, wouldn't, it wouldn't have hurt them. It, it, it absolutely wouldn't have caused more harm. The biggest problem is that whenever you try to explain these things to, to most people, we do come across as, you know, crazy conspiracy theorists. And just explaining prohibition People don't want to believe that because it's so outlandish. How could I that didn't. possibly be the truth? You know, how could they pass a law based on on just lies on? Mm-hmm. And that's why it's changed our views. And that's why it hurt. And, I mean, if anyone doesn't want to believe how marijuana or most drugs became illegal, you, one can only just go so far as to look at, say, absinthe and how yeah. the wine lobbyists passed propaganda, which passed terrible laws that made absinthe illegal in the States. A few years back, I think it was about five years back, it's now legal in the States again. And there was no fanfare about it. You can go buy a bottle of absinthe at your local liquor store now for, I don't know, 80, 100 years, that shit was illegal. For why? Because wineries and and wine companies decided they don't like that. Right. It's whoever is honestly, and if you just go hang out at any state capital, you will see it because a lot of these things, the changes, you'll see them come from the state levels and up. And people don't pay a lot of attention to what's going on in the state legislature, and they should because it is dangerous over there. And literally anybody can get elected. <laughs> Some of these rural areas, and especially a state like Missouri, it's, literally anyone gets elected and then they get to have a say. But then again, look at our presidential <laughs> election. So we're not yeah. too far off. <laughs> I guess I'll, I only bring up the absinthe argument because if somebody is so anti-marijuana that their mind will not open up yeah. to mm-hmm. the fact that marijuana can be a good thing, if they can look at alcohol, if they can look at absinthe, which but is alcohol's just, not a good thing. Absinthe isn't a good thing. There, it's not helping anybody. I, I guess it's know? just it's something that's in the general public that they could wrap their head around. Oh, right, that was made is. illegal for bullshit reasons, and now it's legal because of they finally saw through the bullshit reasons. So maybe if they can accept that, they can. It's look hard at for me though to to like to bring the alcohol and cannabis comparisons at all because alcohol is the worst thing ever. Such a healing <laughs> gift, and yeah. alcohol poisons people. I don't drink like I'm not a drinker and I Mm -hmm. went to Florida over the weekend and I was with my friend and we decided to go out to the and hit the bars on Friday night and still to this day, which is now (laughs) half a week later, I'm having diarrhea. (laughs) I I am having a hard time getting up in the morning. Uh, I know something that'll fix that. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It's, it's, it's just ridiculous that, you know, people are like, Oh, a hangover lasts a day. No, my hangovers last about four days now. Yeah. I'm still struggling. Yeah. You won't have that kind of stuff with cannabis. Well, no good has come from alcohol. Uh, People get violent on it. It, It's not healing anyone. We're not making fuel out of it. We could make renewable 
energy. I mean, hemp is a renewable energy source. You can make like, anything out of hemp. I heard you can actually make Cavalar vests out of it, like uh, yeah, like bulletproof material out of it. Mm-hmm. It's the longest, strongest natural fiber. And it's sustainable, mm-hmm. which is what makes it so dangerous Bio- to our carnivores. Biodegradable. Right. Yeah, I, but, I, I wasn't trying to say alcohol's good and, and marijuana's bad or they're the same. No, alcohol's terrible. And, and it's totally legal. And and so the rescheduling of marijuana, if they reschedule it down to schedule two, that's uh-huh. putting it in the same category as methamphetamine. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, which, you know, they just threw a big stink about edibles and about how it should not be desirable to children. And then they now have these little candy, looks like Jolly Rancher. Gummy bears, Ritalin gummy bears just passed. How well do you think that's going to go over? I'm going to hand those out on Halloween. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I always think that that's so funny when they say, oh, watch out for edibles and your kid's candy. I'm like, are you freaking kidding? Number one, those things are expensive. And it's probably better than the candy. And number two, (laughs) I don't know a kid, like any special needs kids, that the parents are trying to get the kids to take this. I mean, they don't usually like that cannabis taste. And like getting your kids to eat one of these edibles is a feat. (laughs) Yeah. It is something that we have forums about. Like, kids don't just want to sit there and eat those edibles. They're not that appealing to a child's palate. No, <laughs> They look no. pretty. I think, I think that the biggest turning point, you know, with everything is, like I said, just getting education and awareness to people. Like, whenever we were at parades, you know, different things we had. Um, I was there with a few different groups, and we were handing out cannabis education stuff. Whenever we were doing that, most of the people were going to the, the others, you know, that had on like-minded t-shirts and you know young people that were hooping and hollering and me and a few other people were going to the people that were refusing our brochures you know because these are the people you need to reach out to so you definitely need to talk to more people than just your friends about it i hope so do you have a name for your new podcast yet do you have an idea yeah canna casey is what we're thinking okay Um, oh yeah we're also doing the cannabis confessionals one too well i've learned a lot during this conversation, um, I, you know, I, I felt like I had some of my ducks in the in a row and, and knowledge about marijuana, but you guys have opened me up to a little bit more that I didn't know about. Thank oh, I felt like you were very knowledgeable and I really appreciated the interview. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this story. People should always have the right to any treatment option they seek out. The marijuana bill that had tens of thousands of signatures is not going to make it on the Missouri ballot for 2016. The current governor and districts decided to invalidate thousands of signatures. The ballot measure came up between 23 to 49 signatures short. Next up is Dolores, and I'm going to have her introduce herself. There we go. I'm ready when you are, darling. <laughs> um, well, first, I want to I want you to introduce yourself and who you are, and then I really want to focus on this raid that happened and yeah. all of the outcomes from it. So yeah. we can kind of open the door to a new life here. So tell us who you are. <laughs> well, my name is Dolores Montgomery Halbin. I'm going to be 61 on September 15th, and I love birthday cards. I'm a former RN. I was a registered nurse for two and a half decades Mm -hmm. until my career was ended abruptly one day by the sheriff's deputy being in my driveway 
I'm the mother of three and a grandmother of five. And I'm from uh, West Central Missouri. Sheriffs show up in your driveway. Uh, I'm assuming that you murdered somebody and buried their bodies and somebody reported this horrible crime. (laughs) I was hoping. (laughs) I was really hoping because I knew they could dig the place up and not find anything but several dogs, cats, and you know, chickens and peacocks and stuff like that that we buried out there over the years. My husband, our backstory is that uh, my husband was very ill. We were married 40 years and together for 44, so he was it for me and uh, I for him. In 2007, he had a had really bad diabetes and uh, he had a retinal bleed. We were tangled up with the IRS at the time. He had upset the apple cart with the IRS. You shouldn't kick the rattlesnake's nest there, but he did, and we were hit with like four audits at once. And so he wasn't taking care of himself. We weren't eating. It was Labor Day weekend, actually, a year, well, today. Mm-hmm. It was today. Um in 2007 and this is 16 so nine years ago today is when this started for him and since we were under all these irrevocable deadlines it took us about a week and a half to get him to the eye doctor we're just sitting there and he goes i see a spot in my eye and you know long story short that was a stroke his eyeball bled out by the time we got to the eye doctor it was too late to do too much about it we were sent to the Truman Eye Foundation in Kansas City, Missouri, which is like the top eye uh, doctors in, in the country. Um, over the next 7 to 11, 3 or 4 years, he lost complete vision in the eye and developed what is called acute neovascular glaucoma. And this is an effort where the eye just keeps trying to repair itself, but the blood vessels are too tiny and too damaged. So if you just picture... Um, water balloons, you know, you fill them up, you break them, you fill them up, you break them. That's kind of what his eyeball was doing because the thin membranes, they just break. So his eye pressures were 60 and mine's 20, yours is 20. Normal PSI on a car is 30. So imagine your eyeball blown up twice the pressure of a tire. So this yeah. this is causing migraines and this, great No, this is causing <laughs> pain through his eyeball that was like a knife into his head. And the only control for it was for him to basically be face down in bed. That was it. He went through seven microsurgeries. They successfully put these teeny tiny little drains in his eyes. And he got some relief from those surgeries. But after about six months, those drains clog. And they can only do that three times. So we were on $500 a month worth of eye drops. Our pharmacist, Mark Finke, um, who ran the Drexel Pharmacy at the time, was getting us everything at cost and it was still costing us $500 and they weren't working. So finally the eye and my husband's eye, uh, eye doctor down home, as we call him, did not want him to have his eye removed because he said he'll stroke out. It, it'll be the death of him because what, when you pull the eye out, all those micro vessels are attached to the brain and Gene's a bleeder and he'll bleed out and have massive strokes. So he never wanted us to have this surgery, but We were stuck with a blind and painful eye with no treatment. Mm -hmm. So we were at Truman Medical Center to get his eye removed. We were in the operating room. They were getting ready to start his IV, and a lady from accounting came in and said, we need 
$800. And uh, I just kind of laughed. I said, so do I. Um, but what had happened was with the Affordable Health Care, whatever you want to call whatever Obama did with health care, as a knee-jerk response to that, the federal government quit giving grants to health care organizations. We don't need to give you grants anymore. Everyone's insured. End of story. Mm-hmm. So we had been through the I Foundation for three years on a grant. We were uninsured. We paid a $25 copay for everything, including eye surgery. The grant got cut, and they didn't really have a choice. That was a that was a 10% down payment on the cost of the surgery, which was going to have to be paid out of pocket. And we ended up leaving, and uh, they basically kicked us out. He put his clothes back on, and we went to my mother's house. And that's where the story kind of gets interesting, because we walked into Mom's, and she was kind of freaked, because everybody knew he was having his eye removed today, and uh, told her the story. And she looked at him, and she said, you know, Gene, I happen to know that marijuana, pot, weed, and cannabis are all the same thing. This is my mother's 80. And she said, my uncle, when I was a child, had really bad glaucoma. And he would smoke his pipe around the fire with my dad. My dad would smoke his pipe. But my uncle's pipe was different than grandpa's. And I loved that smell. I just loved the smell of what he was smoking. And she said, I didn't put two and two together till I raised six of you kids through the 60s and 70s. And you come home and I recognized the smell. And she goes, that's why I never really cared. I knew if you were out there smoking weed, nothing was going to happen to you because I watched my uncle smoke it. And nothing, you know, it helped him. And she said, you know, if you guys would do this for fun back when you were kids, why wouldn't you do it now to save your life mm-hmm. and uh, get yourself out of pain? You see, the eyeball has no narcotic receptors whatsoever. And receptors are like ports on a space shuttle. You, if you don't match, you're not going to port. So there's no matching receptors on the eyeball to receive any kind of opioid medication whatsoever. You can give somebody the strongest narcotic pain medication available, and it will not touch eye pain. So heroin in nothing. <laughs> nothing. Nothing will touch eye pain except cannabis. The eyeball is loaded with endocannabinoid receptors. So literally every part of the cannabis plant will attach to the eyeball. That's why it is the only treatment for glaucoma that is effective that we have, period. And I'm an RN. I hope I'm still an RN. I filed my appeal. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a nurse. I have a bachelor's degree. They can't take that away. So anyway, my husband tried it. And it was, oh, and I got to finish my mom's story. Mom says, that stuff's not still illegal, is it? (laughs) And I said, yeah, mom, it's still pretty illegal. I love her. She's just, I miss her. She died a year later. Um, It's it's that that innocent, naive. Surely, you know, that couldn't possibly still be going on, you know, because we were, we were fighting back in the seventies for legality and, uh, I'm sure she just assumed that we'd already won that battle and moved on to something else. But he tried it. It was instant relief. And I don't mean like 10 minutes later. I mean second or third hit off a joint, and he's like, oh, my God, it's gone. The eye pain is gone. And when, you ha- when you're in constant, constant, constant pain, pain, you know. 
<laughs> and the relief on him. And see, our daughter was getting ready to get married, and he was worried about being able to walk her down the aisle. I mean, he was going to do it, but he was going to be miserable. There was one eye drop we could use. It's an atropine drop, and that's a cardiac med. And he could only use it twice a day because it can cause cardiac arrest and sudden death. You know, so his alternative to walk, you know, the only way that he could walk his daughter down the aisle up to that point was by using the atropine, which risks sudden cardiac arrest so that he can stand up long enough, you know, to get her down the aisle. I mean, he's up and around and, you know, everybody's like, what? happened and we were very verbal about it with family but i'm an rn so it was like well you know this is yeah and people would say well aren't you a little worried about you know getting busted and i'm like well i'm not more than a little worried about it i'm a lot worried about it that would be my pandora's box you know so rather than try to access this on the black market we live out in the middle of nowhere um he started a small grow in the basement and it, it was a small grow. Um, they made it out like the bust of the century in Bates County, Missouri. But they, they uh, always do. They, you know, it was a big deal, and they, it was great. They uh, lined all his plants up. He had three mature plants, so they line them all up so they're all about four inches shorter than the next, and then they line up all of his little clones. And with those little clones are all of my boxcar Willie tomatoes, all my pepper plants that I'd started upstairs, you know, under the lights and. And then um, the tragedy just, I mean, this is just really a sad, sad story. They also walked out with his firearm collection, and we were in a gun club. Well, hold on. How did they find out? How did they arrive, if you don't well, mind we, taking we a step have, back? We have a family member that suffers from bipolar schizoaffective disorder that has been off of medication since 2011. I don't know if you're familiar with that particular uh, mental illness, but these are the people that hear voices in their heads. Yeah. So to them, this is very real. And my partner, Jessica, that is the diagnosis. Well, her son is autistic schizoaffective disorder, and he's 10 years old. And these voices, I spent a weekend with him down at our farm trying to get him in the creek and play with him like a normal kid, you know. But the voices kept telling him to hurt the other children. So in 2011, these voices in this particular family member turned, whereas I was the person that everybody would call and say, hey, you need to go help this person get back on their meds. Those voices turned on on me in 2011. And uh, this, so I'd been under attack for several years by this person. And I uh, never thought that, you know, they would take it this far. So a not an anonymous tip or this call? Uh, yeah, yeah, it was anonymous, but it wasn't anonymous. I mean, this person, you know, bragged a little bit about it after the fact, so there wasn't any big secret. Um, crazy people, divorces, you know, custody battles. Um, they take your children. They use these laws. People can use these laws against each other really, really easily and blackmail you. You know, if you smoke and you get a divorce, you can get blackmailed. If you smoke and uh, somebody finds out about it, you know, they can, well, if you don't do what I say, I'm going to report you and they're going to take your kids and that kind of crap. So it's just another layer to prohibition that 
And there are so many layers to this. There's so many ways this destroys families. And that's one of them is that these laws are just, I mean, that's the situation with anybody that's breaking a law. So you live out in the boonies. The the original article after we were raided that came out by Don Bradley's Beautiful, he starts it with, if you go kind of over the river and through the dale and across the bridge and into the forest and yada, 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 you might find the Halvin farm, you know? <laughs> I mean, we were really, you can't, you can't Google our address. Mm-hmm. It doesn't come up on MatQuest. I and mean, we were out there and we're, you know, we were very isolated. The house you can't see from the road, the basement you can't see from anywhere. The, the, the grow was... A uh, twenty by twenty foot area of the basement that was poly, you know, black polyed off. Mm-hmm. You know, we never locked our house. Yeah. We've never locked our house as long as we've been out there. We never locked our house. Well, we got dogs and doggy door. If you want him bad enough, you can crawl through the damn doggy door. So what's the point? March eighteenth, the morning of, um, I took. We'd had our grandkids for the weekend, so I took them all home. I knew that there was no food in the house. When you have three grandkids for four days, there's nothing left. There's no sugar. There's no milk. <laughs> I mean, there's coming through your kitchen. And my husband's a really brittle diabetic, and he would always get up and shoot insulin, and then I'd fix him breakfast. But I wasn't there. He could always go get some cereal. I knew there wasn't any food there. I knew there wasn't any milk, nothing. So I was really concerned that he'd shot insulin. So I was trying to get back with lunch. And it was about 12.30, I guess. I drove past my driveway, and there were two. Well, actually, I couldn't even see them until I pulled in my driveway. There was a, this, the big black SUV that the task force drives and the sheriff's uh, little SUV in my driveway. So I backed out and went on because I thought, well, maybe there's just something going on in the neighborhood. Texted my neighbor. She wasn't home, but her daughter was homesick that day. So I texted her. And I said, hey, I know you're home from school. Would you look out the window and tell me if there's still police cars in my driveway? And she goes, yeah, there's a whole bunch of them. So then, you know, I I knew life had just ended as I knew it. And uh, I didn't want to come home because I thought they would arrest him. And I knew he wouldn't survive jail. And somebody, I mean, they might issue a warrant for me, but at least I could go into Kansas and work on bail money, you know. We had five dogs and three cats, so I couldn't, I just didn't know what to do. And I drove till I ran out of gas that day. Finally, I got the all clear text from uh, my neighbor kid. And I said, well, go see if they took Jean. I'm on my way home. So I'm headed 10 minutes from home. And she texts me back and she said, oh, my God, they, the big black SUV just pulled back in the driveway. And one of those guys got out and went into the house. She said, I'm really afraid for Jean because he went in there by himself and he's carrying a gun. And, and so I beelined it for home then. It's just before I got there, they pulled back out and left about one minute before I got back to the house. But I had been texting the neighbor kid. She was hiding behind a tree watching this. And what happened in that 10 minutes after the sheriff left, after everybody left, is that the DEA guys pulled back in the driveway, came in the house, and had my husband sign a confession saying he'd been Mirandized, he was growing pot illegally, he was growing it for the two of us, And he's initialing all of these handwritten statements 
Well, I got there and I said, what was that guy doing in here by himself? And he goes, well, he said he forgot to have me sign for the property. So he was just telling me everything they took going down the property list. My husband is legally blind. He can't see what he's signing. When I got to him, his blood sugar was 40. And those guys lied on the stand, and I'm not still sure to this point why we didn't. I'd like to apply for a mistrial based on the fact that they lied and said they were never alone with him, and I have an eyewitness. But at the time, she was 15, and we didn't want to involve her. But she's 18 now and is perfectly willing to get involved. So if I can apply for a mistrial based on those guys lying under oath. So you they, know. they said they were never alone with him? Like, yeah, they said that. And I got an eyewitness that saw him. But what what is that? I mean, I guess I don't understand what they mean by that. Like, well, they said they had each other to witness that he'd signed this piece of paper uh, and he'd been Mirandized and all that. Nobody in the sheriff's office heard him get Mirandized, and and they didn't tell him what he was signing. One guy went in there alone, and and I'm looking at this. You know, when I finally get copies of this from the court documents through my attorney Dan Veets, I'm like, they told him he was signing for all of his guns. And for the pipes and for the bag of flour they took from the kitchen. and But they were, he wasn't signing the property list. He wasn't initialing that. He was initialing a confession saying he'd been Mirandized and all this other bullshit. In that, they wrote in there, you were growing marijuana here for you and your wife. And he initialed that one as yes. You know, that's how I got pulled into it. Just through them bold face lying and it was crazy because when we're in trial and and dan's got the guy on the stand he goes um you're an undercover agent yes do you lie for a living yes do you trick people for a living yes you know do you coerce people into committing crimes so that you can catch them in crimes yes do you commit crimes with people to catch them committing crimes yes and they're and they're allowed to police can lie to you all day long Somebody should come up with the money and buy my trial transcripts. I'm telling you, it's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. The 4th of April, let's see, we got busted on the 18th. A few days later, a reporter from the Kansas City Star came out, did a story on us. So it went front page on March 30th, and it went viral. I mean, it just went around the world. I had no idea. I'd been on Facebook for like a month because my daughter made me so I could see grandkids' pictures, you know, so I'm not a big internet person. And I get a call from my brother, and he's in London. He's like, hey, sis, how you doing? I'm like, okay. And he goes, anything you want to tell me? And I'm like, well, not not especially. And he goes, well, you and Gene are on the front page of the London Times, so start talking. So our case got a lot of attention. They made the Bates County Sheriff's Office look like well, we were not insulting at all to the sheriff in the article. Gene kept saying they were very nice. They were very polite, you know. It still made them look like flaming assholes that they were. And the fall, they told him they were going to send him a summons, that they weren't going to arrest him, they weren't going to issue a warrant. Well, a week from on the 4th of April, which was a Thursday morning, they came out and arrested us both on a $25,000 bond each. Handcuffed us, took us to jail. Because you were such dangerous to society, right? Yeah, we're, we were such a threat. You know, we owned property. He was 60, I was 58, and uh, they took us both to jail. By arresting us Thursday morning with that high bond, it guaranteed us a week in jail. Now, my husband had a toe wound. For diabetics, those are deadly. And it wouldn't heal, so he had gone in a few weeks before that and had stents put in his legs 
and his toe was healing up beautifully. But on stents, you have to stay on blood thinners for six months or they clot off. That week he was in jail. He didn't get any meds. He didn't get insulin. The guards were Googling how much insulin they thought he should have. But he didn't get any of his blood thinners. He didn't get his antibiotics. And by the time he got out, yeah, I mean, it took me a day or two to, well, took me more than a day or two to get my stamina back up from the week of being in jail. But he never got his. He just never got better from from when we got out. We used to walk two miles a day, and he just he just couldn't get it up the hill. So I took him back to the doctor's office, and while he was in jail, he'd had a heart attack. Diabetics don't feel chest pain when they have heart attacks. They're called silent MIs because the nerves are damaged, and they just don't feel them. But he had had a heart attack while he was in jail, and that's why he couldn't get up and down the hill. And uh, he would have had to have had a pacemaker had he lived. But... The toe infection blew up. It went septic. They took that toe off, spread to the next toe, took the next toe off. So within a, within a year, he, he couldn't walk. He couldn't walk anymore. When he couldn't walk and all this bed rest, um, he developed these gigantic bone spurs on his spine that would just put him in horrific pain. They were inoperable because they were pointed at his aorta. They blocked the blood flow off to the lower half of his body, so none of the toe wounds would heal, and he ended up with like a quarter of a foot left, and it blocked it off to his brain. So the last six months he was alive, he was very confused, didn't know anybody but me and his sister. Yeah, we got fired from a lot of doctors, and he threw the hospice nurse out one day because he didn't know who she were. We almost got fired from hospice. (laughs) It's pretty bad. Mm -hmm. But he was, con- and that's so sad. So he lost his ability to walk, and he lost his brain, and he, I think he willed himself dead at that point. I mean, when you can't walk anymore, and you can't, you know, you don't know where you are, he was conscious enough to know that his life was over. He wasn't going to live like that. And uh, he died Thanksgiving night, about five after 12. This is all pretty much from the week you spent in jail. Yeah, his yeah, health just well, that deteriorated. That and, and losing his cannabis medicine, that was controlling blood pressure. That was controlling a lot of other ailments besides his glaucoma that I didn't even realize. But the stress of the whole situation, I mean, it, if they would have just sent us the summons, he, he wouldn't have started losing toes. Mm-hmm. Sitting here watching my husband die, his temperature is 105, they can't get it down, he's septic. As a nurse, I don't think he's going to make it through the next hour. And um, I lost my job that day. I mean, the day after, the next morning after we got busted, I called my boss, and I was up for the job, my dream job at the hospital in cardiac care. And I told her what happened, and I said, you know, can I keep my job? And she said, no, small town, you know, I can't. It just can't happen. So I've never been fired from a job, and I was talking to my daughter, and she said, Mom, call her back and see if you can resign. So I called her back. I said, well, can I resign? She goes, oh, absolutely. And, yeah, I had to resign. So no paychecks are coming in now, you know. So, yeah, it just kind of went downhill from there, and it never got any better. He died, and uh, you know, we were in the middle of a lot of remodeling projects on our house when this all happened, and... Uh, He built the house for me. I mean, he built it himself. He's just a beautiful carpenter. But the house is, like, torn apart, and the bathroom's torn out, and 
he's dead and I'm sitting with this mortgage I can't pay and this unfinished house and uh, ended up my kids came out and on the weekends and helped me get it you know up to the point that we could list it at least and it's been on the market oh, the first six months I guess um, we had a really good chance of selling it and this is where I start getting really pissed off um, this is where my story changes once again I've worked for two years on the Missouri ballot petition. I've put in blood, sweat, and tears on this. Every, like Jessica, just every breathing moment. I haven't got a dime for any of my advocacy work. I just won't stop, you know. And when the Missouri ballot got bungled, when the DEA doubled down on us in July. Saying they're not going to reschedule. I and then the the last straw and Jess and I were together when this happened. I see the Facebook page about Shirley and Charles the Third Eckert from Alberton, Georgia. He is a disabled Vietnam veteran. They were Gene and I's age. Same thing, little garden in the basement, arrested him on a Thursday, guaranteeing him their week in jail. I flipped a gasket. He is a disabled Vietnam veteran. And I said, Jess, we got to, I've already done the DOJ once and was denied based on, well, yeah, the state and the county did that. But we didn't have anything to do with that from the federal. You know, we're not responsible. Well, the hell you're not. If you fix the problem, the states can fix the problem. It's like Truman said, the buck stops here with the president. And as long as Washington continues to carry on the class one classification, which makes it federally illegal to have this substance under any circumstance, do any research on it, sell it in any way, shape, or form, give it away, look at it, breathe about it. It is against federal law. So what we have here is now 26 states, whatever, District of Columbia, where it's legally illegal, and then the other, the rest of us, where it's illegally illegal. That's treason. When the federal government refuses to enforce federal law, that's treason. Then we found out about the patent, that the federal government has had this patented since 1998, patent number 6603057. We've all memorized it. And if you Google and look at that, it's like every single use for medical marijuana, dosages, how it can be distributed, it's all there. The government bought the patent, and what are they, just waiting for the highest bidder? You it, know, it's why? interesting that they say there's no medical use, yet well, they, they have a patent They have the listing patent. It so out. here we have two things the federal government is doing. They have patented medical marijuana, and they've been sitting on that for nearly a decade. In 1976, they started the Compassionate Glaucoma Program, where on their little pot farm down there in Mississippi, they grew pot for glaucoma patients. And they sent the little tins with 300 pre-rolled joints out to people with glaucoma. And all you had to do was send in your doctor's notes saying you had glaucoma and you could get it. So um, there's one person left alive that's getting the LV. And uh, I met her at Patients Out of Time. Um, she's the only one left that's still getting those tens, but she is still getting them. When the Reagans canceled the program in the 80s, 
they legally couldn't stop giving it to the people that they had signed up. So they just said, okay, we'll keep giving it to everybody on the list, but we're not going to give it to anybody else. And through attrition, we're just going to wait till you die. Yeah. Right. So um, Alice, um, get her, Randall O'Leary, her husband was the first recipient. I think his name was Robert. I'll have to double check that. You might want to Google her. Anyway, I met her, we became really good friends, and it was 10 years ago that her husband passed away, and up until he passed away, he was still getting those marijuana cigarettes from the government. So we have two programs set up by the federal government, or two actions by them, that prove that this is a bold-faced lie. One is they're giving it out for glaucoma patients and locking up glaucoma patients, and two is they've had this patent and they've been sitting on the truth. It's um, it's that weird dual personality or that hypocrisy of the government where they will say this is bad, but then turn around and grow it, hand it out to patients. H- how do you reconcile that? I mean, it, it you can't reconcile that. We are going to war on the federal government. Period. Here's the interesting thing about suing the federal government. And if you Google how to sue the federal government, this form DOJ ninety five pops up. And it's damages, death caused by the United States government. And it's a two-page form that, you know, you can flip through and do in 20 minutes an e-file. <laughs> or you can do like I did and send it in with your 8 by 10 glossies with pictures and arrows on the back and <laughs> paragraph for each one, you know, which is what I did the first time. Jess and I both set up event pages and we just did a blitz of everybody we knew that we could think of, you know, and we have no idea how many forms got filed over Labor Day because there's no way to track who's suing the federal government. Each one of those cases is treated like you went down to the federal courthouse and paid your 60 bucks and filed a lawsuit. Mm -hmm. They are all treated like individual lawsuits. They all have to be assigned an attorney and a case number and investigated, and then they have to get back with you by registered mail. We asked everybody to use 420 in the amount, any amount of 420, and I used 420,000. 420 million, 420,000, $4.20, that's not the issue. The issue is you get 420 in there so they know we're all connected. They've taken it too far, and now they're going to pay. The... uh, Sheriff's Department helicopters buzz the farm where Jess and I are hanging out these days, where I'm living, and she comes to escape, and we work a lot from there. They buzzed the farm the other day, down so low in a grid that I could see the guys, and then they buzzed the farm next to me and the farm next to them. Well, I put this out on Facebook, and uh, somebody posted a picture of the Berry County and the Vernon County uh, Marijuana Eradication Force. And they have their own helicopters, and they have their own uniforms, and they've got their own little cool patches on their shoulders. It's got a cannabis plant with the Ghostbusters circle around it. I'm like, oh my god, what so a how, job! How much, how much tax-paying dollars? Uh, no shit. <laughs> and you, you think these guys are going to give up that job? They get to buzz around in a helicopter, find pot, go down, pull it up, keep it. So they were they confiscated a lot of property from you when they raided you. Oh, yeah, I had to. Uh, I finally got my husband's gun collection back, but not till after he had passed away. At my trial, 
I got a last minute offer from the prosecuting attorney because my trial was Christmas week. And Dan Veets and I had talked about rather than risk people in the county, even though I had a lot of support, you just never know what a jury's going to do. And I was looking at five to 15 years. So he decided, you know, he had bounced around. Judge Journey was a pretty liberal judge, just having a judge trial. And then um, that Friday before Christmas, before my trial was set to start on the 22nd, you know, Jenkins, Hugh Jenkins, the prosecuting attorney, knew that he was not going to gain any favors in the community by pulling them in, you know, the three days before Christmas to a trial for me. So that could have backfired him. They could have found me not guilty just because they're pissed off at him. But still charging a 60-year-old woman. Yeah. To, you know, like. yeah. I mean, it, I, we probably could have got it on a jury trial, but he called the Friday before and said he would drop it to misdemeanor possession under 35 grams if I would agree to a judge trial. And that took the felony and the 5 to 15 off the table. So we took it because we were kind of thinking of that anyway. So I got a judge trial that we, you know, the two days before Christmas. I didn't get the verdict till the 15th of January. Sentencing wasn't until March 21st, first day of spring. So I had already told Dan I did not want an SIS. I didn't want any kind of probation that I would agree to time served, period. That's it. Uh, the judge was willing to offer me a two-year SIS suspended imposition of sentence where two years from now my misdemeanor pot charge drops off my record. But if at any point in time I get in trouble between now and then for anything else, then, you know, I can go to jail for a year. I said, no, I'll pass on that. So I got sentenced to one day in jail time served because I spent seven. Um, and the judge said, you know, I said, can I have my husband's property back now? I want his guns back. I want his scales back. Those were his dad's REA Express scales. It was an antique set of postal scales. And I want his grandfather's pipes. And everybody agreed to that. Well, then I start trying to find out how to get my property released. And the prosecuting attorney comes back and says, well, we uh, caught wind that you're going to file an appeal. So we're not going to release your husband's property back to you until after the appeal is settled. What? And I'm like, oh, you know, my grandkids, guns, they, we were in a gun club. Um, once a month, all the grandkids came out, and we went out with a bunch of old men that were their mentors, and we shot together. We had bows, arrows, slingshots. We were the Peckerwood High Society Gun, Bow, and Slingshot Club. But my grandson is like 12. This was a really important bonding thing for him with these men. And then we lost the guns, you know, and now they're saying they're going to keep them for another, you know, two years. Give up I, my guess, right. I guess you should have shot somebody with the gun because you could have got it back sooner. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> you know, murder, I'd have been out a long time ago. And then they wouldn't respond to my attorney. They wouldn't respond to Dan. So Dan finally called me up and he goes, or sent me an email. He goes, look. You need to fire me and file your own affidavit to get your weapons back. So I had to go through the process of firing Dan, which took about a week. Well, and I'm in the meantime, I am living at the prosecuting attorney's window. And I've got his secretary calling me honey bun. I'm killing them with kindness. I am the poor widow. You know, I'm doing whatever it takes to get the damn guns back. My grandkids, this is all they got of their grandpa. You know, they needed them back. 
went to the library and Googled how to make an affidavit. And I, you know, printed up my own, cut and pasted my own affidavit together and submitted it. And, well, Mr. Hugh, he just, he doesn't like the wording of this sentence. I go back to the library and reprint it. And on my third try, he accepted it. And then it took about two weeks after that for the sheriff's office to get the property released. I had to agree to let them keep the scales. They wouldn't give me back the scales. The The officer that went back to find his guns, she that's in charge of property, she's the one that arrested me because she was the only female cop on the force. And she said, I want you to know I looked through the entire property room for any kind of pipe that wasn't a glass you know, pot pipe, and there aren't any. I said, well, I'm not surprised. Those were, you know, Sherlock Holmes pipes, collectible, and easily slipped into pockets. So I said, I, Fishbone's her name. I said, I'm, I appreciate your help, Fishbone. I, I left and uh, moved, moved south. I'm residing in my grandmother's 100-year-old farmhouse. It's been unoccupied for five years. And I'm really blessed that the family that we all own it together said, yeah, go stay. But, but just to put this in perspective, your husband, who was seeking relief for his glaucoma, mm-hmm. grew some plants, four <laughs> plants in his basement, mm-hmm. and it's destroyed your entire life and yeah. and literally killed your husband. Yeah, yeah, and took away my grandchildren's grandpa. They adored him. Took away my children's father. They adored him. We had plans, you know, our 40th anniversary was was the 27th of September last year. We were just going to take off for a week and and tour, you know, the Missouri and the Arkansas State Parks. I mean, we there was no reason for him to die. He had his health control. The year before we were arrested, his total medical bills were $3,000, and that included paying out of pocket for insulin. The year before he died... And he's on disability, so this is taxpayers paying this. His medical bills were $300,000, all paid for by taxpayers, you see. Mm-hmm. I mean, for real, the next person that says, why don't you just move to a legal state, I'm liable just a punch. I mean, don't say that to me. But that's that's like telling <laughs> people that live in Syria, just, just yeah, move. Yeah, just, just leave, you know. <laughs> it's like, well, they don't have any choice because they have no home left. Yeah, I was a cardiac care nurse during my career, and that taught me to go to the heart of the matter. And the heart of the matter is the federal government keeping this illegally legal. Exactly. <laughs> money or no money, we're, we're going to continue. But yeah, get as many people as you can okay. between now and when you air it, just to say, hey, click on this form. It takes you 20 minutes. And it doesn't matter what state you live in. <laughs> uh, no, it's 50, all 50 states. But, you know, we want the language the same, medical abuse and neglect of veterans, children, the elderly. We want the patent number in there, and we want the amount to be some sort of 420, and that's it. Yeah. It's that simple. It's great to talk to you. Okay. Thank you so much again. When it comes to negative or adverse effects that marijuana has on the human body, those things just do not compare to any prescription drug out there, much less heroin, cocaine, or other Schedule One or even Schedule Two drugs. The going joke about marijuana is the worst side effect of marijuana is jail time. 
because nothing it does to your body or to you is as bad as what the law can do. I'm sure this episode might come off a little preachy to some, but it's something that is close to my heart. I may not see eye to eye with every single marijuana advocate out there toting the line, but I do believe in their movement.